Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 205, and today's guest is Grant Deacon, CEO and co-founder of Unstack. Grant's entrepreneurial experience started as a paperboy. He noticed that the real business model of newspaper companies was the ads. This triggered an idea that he could help small businesses with advertising too. Through the encouragement of his dad, Grant started cold calling and learned the great business lesson of what it's like to get a bunch of no's, but when you finally land on that yes, it's the magical word and it's all that you need to get started. Well, Unstack is his latest startup and the company just announced 3.1 million in funding. The company provides a no-code marketing platform that gives marketers and entrepreneurs the fastest way to launch and scale a business. They already have significant traction and some really exciting plans ahead. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like how to crush your launch on Product Hunt, Grant's background story, including how he learned online marketing, all the details on his prior company, Grapevine, an early-to-market influencer marketing platform that was acquired, a deep dive into Unstack and how they are competing against the massive incumbents, advice on getting involved in angel investing, and so much more. Okay, quick side note, the VentureFizz job board is absolutely blowing up. We have a record number of jobs listed for companies hiring in Boston, New York City, or remote positions. You'll find jobs at all levels of experience across all job functions like software engineering, sales, product management, marketing, customer success, user experience, HR finance operations, and more. Go to VentureFizz.com backslash jobs to start searching. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Greg. Grant, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, excited to be here, Keith. Yeah, I'm excited to talk because it's like like you're a, an entrepreneur that I feel like I know you, but we've never met. Like it's just you're one of the names that I've seen out there with different startups in the Boston tech scene. So I'm excited to finally chat with you. And one of the things that I noticed um, that you guys got mad props on was your product hunt launch where you got over like 3,300 upvotes and you have this whole blog post that talked about how, what that meant, right. In terms of, you know, getting to be the number one of the day, number five for the month, number 23 for the year, which is amazing. So how do you crack being number one on product hunt? Cause I've tried product hunt once and I failed. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, I think there's a confluence of things and, and, like you said, you know, we tried to take everything that we did and learn and kind of package that up into an article. And we, you know, full disclosure, I had done a couple of these before. You know, we did a couple at Grapevine that weren't quite as uh, as successful, but you know, had gotten some traction. So kind of knew what we were getting into a little bit there. Um, a lot of what I outline in that blog post is really the preparation. So I think, you know, a lot of people are like, Hey, you know, let's get this out there. Let's ship it. Well, two things. One, you really only get one shot, um, at, at doing product hunt. Uh, and two, I think the, uh, you put in, you know, a week of work in order to have that really great day, you know, and obviously then there's some, you know, there's some kind of residual benefits of being on there in terms of backlinks and traffic over time and things like that. Um, but that's really where it started. I mean, for us, we, you know, we did a lot of planning. Uh, we had built a lot of assets for it. You know, we had one of the things that worked particularly well is, is you know, and I think any startup should do this is you start building audience from day one, right? So we didn't kind of 
go on product hunt and say, Hey, we've never told anyone about this. We've been working on this. This is this great thing we're excited about. What do you guys think? It was like, Hey, we already had, you know, thousands of people in our email list. We had been building community. We had a Slack community. Um, and so we use all those as tools to really drive, uh, really drive some momentum around that. And then obviously at, at you know, one of the things that's important, just a little inside baseball on, on Product Hunt is getting that initial push up front. Um, you know, if you know, we're on the East Coast, but launching sort of at 12.01, you know, PST, um, you've got all that time overnight to try to build that groundswell. So when everybody comes online in the morning, you're already up on top. By being up on the top, right, you're getting all that exposure. That exposure is driving more votes for you. So it's a combination of all these things kind of working in concert. And I think the other really important thing is have a great product. You know, one of the things that was interesting for us beyond, you know, I think putting a lot into the product before we put it on there uh, was that it was something that was fairly well catered to that particular audience, right? Helping people build measure and scale ideas, digital presence, no code um, resonated really well. So I think for us, that was really another kind of accelerant in that sort of campaign. Um, but yeah, it worked really well. Like you said, we had over I can't believe it over 30, 3,300 votes. Um, I didn't check it in a while. I think as we're recording this, they have the, the Golden Kitty Award. So Unstack was nominated for best no code product of the year. Um, I'll probably find out after this recording if we won. So that's awesome. fingers crossed. Yeah, good luck with that. And, and it generated customers through it, right? Like it was a good, um, you know, in terms of customer acquisition channel, just kind of like that initial pop type of thing. Definitely that initial pop type of thing. You know, I, I talked a little bit about this in the article, but, you know, we saw a huge influx of traffic. Um, we did see a bump in MRR, bumping, you know, a lot of new customers come in. I think, you know, we we tried to look at Product Hunt as a cohort in, in and of itself um, to, to see how that audience performed, you know, relative to our general customer base. Um, and one of the things I mentioned in there was, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of show and tell. So people love to go in try things out. You know, we got a bunch of customers, but churn within that particular product hunt cohort was much higher than what we see from our general customer base. So I really say, look at it as, um, look at it as an opportunity to really get yourself out there, really build some groundswell, um, get some great feedback from the community. You know, don't necessarily look at it as like your customer acquisition strategy, you know, or a channel for that. But then you also had some uh, investor feedback too, or interest that saw it on Product Hunt. I was surprised by that. I was yeah. surprised by that. Um, I would say we had probably a dozen or so VCs reach out after that. So um, I, you know, I've been on Product Hunt all the time, and it makes sense that people would be kind of keeping a pulse in there. But it's not something I had really thought about. We weren't really doing it for exposure to the investment community. Um, uh, but yeah, we had a lot of people reach out there. So, you know, it's also just, it's just a great way to get in front of people and kind of see where those conversations go. All right, let's rewind the clock. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Gainesville, Florida. No way. Yeah. I see the helmet on my back. Oh, there you go. There you go. Go Gators. People listening yeah. aren't going to be able to see this, but uh, there's a, a University of Florida Gators helmet in the in, in my podcast studio. So go Gators. Yeah, my my family is all very diehard. I uh yeah, I grew up in Gainesville though. Like I, I wanted to get out. So I, I was uh yeah, I wanted to want to get out of there. But yeah, they're all um they're all diehard. They go to the games, things like that. Go to the swamp. Yep. So all right. One of the things I figured out about you from uh, doing my research is you 
like to hustle and you were like pretty much an entrepreneur early on. So uh, what were you doing at 5 a.m. As a, as a child? Well, so a couple of things. So, so my dad was uh, less an entrepreneur, but worked for a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, kind of worked in a, in a number of different startups. So I, I think as a kid growing up, I got a lot of exposure through him to sales and marketing and entrepreneurship. I remember like I went to a couple, he brought me to a couple conferences and like used me as uh, bait to sell subscriptions for a product that he was on. I was out there working the floor with him. So I think I had some of that um, exposure early on, which I, you know, I, I credit, you know, I, I'm, I'm thankful for having um, that, that, you know, kind of led me to entrepreneurship and kind of, you know, wanting to, to build things. Um, so I was always looking for, like ideas to work on. And yeah, I mean, one, you know, one thing I was doing was uh, delivering newspapers uh, early on. My parents were like, you need to get a job. I think it's probably, I couldn't even drive. It was, it was a really bad decision on their part because they had to drive me around to do the paper route. Um, so they were getting up at like 5 a.m. with me. Um, but the really interesting thing about that was, you know, it kind of, I, I just, you know, through that, I learned about advertising, saw what people saw, sort of like saw some of the ads in there. And, and um, you know, my cousin at the time had given me a copy of Photoshop and I was playing around with that. So I started connecting dots and I was like, well, maybe I can, I can start, you know, instead of delivering the newspapers, maybe I could create flyers, maybe I could create collateral for some of these companies and just kind of went out and, with, you know, got a bunch of no's and got a couple of folks who said, yeah, we'll give you a shot. And I remember making, uh, making some flyers and that was kind of my first, uh, my first foray into, you know, um, it was kind of building a, a small business. That's awesome. But that, so I read this blog post that you wrote and you're being a little, a little humble, but so you're, you had this idea and your dad was like, well, why don't you call some local companies to create these flyers and make some money doing it. And then you're like, what really just call? And he's like, yeah, just call. And I love that advice. I like, I, like I have two girls who are te teenagers now and I'm trying to coach them on the same type of thing. Like just, just go do it. Right. Figure it out, make mistakes. So you called some people and they kept saying no. So what does your dad tell you? Call some more. He's like, well, he's like, call another one, call another one. He's like, every no is one more person that you got out of the way. Right. And you're, and you're on next, you know, the next one might be a yes. And eventually, and then I did. And I was like, oh my God, he was right. Yeah. So I love that advice. I was just feeding off of that. So, okay, let's move the clock a little bit. So you, uh, you know, you attended Jacksonville university, studied business economics. Uh, what did you do after school? So after school, I, you know, kind of carrying on some of those early entrepreneurial lessons I had that. So this was like peak of the financial crisis. There were no jobs. Um, so I had been doing some internships. I went and worked at a company um, that was kind of uh, doing digital marketing. They had a little group inside of them that they called the like sciences group. But really all that was, was they were buying web properties and, and uh, you know, building traffic around those and scaling those and doing a lot of affiliate type things. And I, I just thought that was the coolest thing ever, you know? Um, so I started doing that on my own, um, you know, pretty shortly thereafter. Um, I, I kind of moved away. I tried to move away from doing it for, uh, you know, collateral for companies and more sort of building properties that I owned and was generating traffic to those largely in the um, like home services lead generation space. So uh, had a little business called Twitch Media um, and that's what we did. Yeah, we, we owned all kinds of properties like Miami Beach cleaning and all kinds of local sort of lead gen sites that we built to do this. Um, and that, you know, that along with, so, so that kind of progressed into, 
you know, moving into uh, another business um, is more of the traditional startup uh, called Bank Affiliates. And what we did there was we, we built, uh, you know, an affiliate network um, and had a bunch of properties. Uh, and we were, you know, we were able to work with everyone from, you know, Chase to Discover, Bank of America, Ally, um, and, and really built this kind of premium uh, affiliate network um, and got, got a chance to work on that over the years. And that was really kind of a, uh, a really formative learning experience going into Grapevine, uh, you know, where I had taken all this sort of uh, performance marketing and then got connected into this totally new world that I, you know, I didn't really know that well, uh, the influencer marketing space. Uh, and, and as I brought those two worlds together, one of the things that made Grapevine really special was we were very perform. We were really the only performance oriented influencer company. So being able for people to say, Hey, like, does this actually work? That was the, the looming question that people didn't really know in the space for a long time. More and more people have focused on that over the years, but we were very early on being like, here's the ROI of your influencer campaign. Here's, here's, you know, revenue per click. Here's the conversion rate. And people, people were just kind of. I mean, we had, there were people in the space who were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and they were like, oh, did we get brand lift? You know, and it, and it was like, that's, that was the measurement. Um, impressions were the measurement. And so we were like, hey, we think we can do a lot better there. And, and so all those kind of experiences of building things and doing performance marketing and lead gen, I kind of brought that into the influencer space. And was that the core of what you were learning during that stretch at that more the, you know, the, uh, you know, building out the, the web properties and the internet marketing, was it like SEO and SEM and, you know, buying like lead gen, good premium domains? It, th things changed, you know, quite a bit, even in a short span there, you know, when I started in it, you could still arbitrage fairly well, um, you know, AdSense traffic, face the Facebook ad platform was brand new, you can go on there and, you know, um, it was incredibly cheap. So there were, there were a lot of opportunities, I think, early on that, you know, people who just happened to be in the, in the game, if you will, then, you know, were able to, to, to jump on, um, where I think now, you know, it's, it's much more mainstream. Um, so, that, I, I mean, I learned a ton. I learned it's, it's actually, it was very hard. Uh, it was really hard to find, you know, really premium traffic, working with premium publishers, building those properties, you know, took a long time, you know, to, to build up your own things. And so, um, you know, I think one of the, one of the cool things about, you know, going back to the influencer space was how turnkey it was, you know, some of these, you know, Brendan, the original founder of Grapevine used to say, you know, these, these 16, 17 year old beauty vloggers were, were getting more distribution than his primetime TV shows on, you know, the Discovery Channel and things like that. So that was a really fun moment where we were like, wow, we can just tap into this very low cost, uh, high distribution channel with these influencers. Yeah. And just for context, this is 2013 when Grapevine started. Around that yeah, so, so yeah, 2013, 2012, I think probably was really getting going. Um, so at that point, uh, I mean, people, uh, nobody was talking talking about influencer marketing, really. Um, there were a couple of agencies that were dabbling in it. Uh, we were, I think we were the first, really the first company out in the market. There was another one who became kind of our head-to-head -head competition called Famebit that launched around the same time. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the way that, you know, everybody today, you know, it's so, it's so mainstream influencer marketing and Instagram influencers, it's kind of uh, colloquial at this point um, it, that wasn't around at that time. Yeah. So it was very forward thinking. So how did that idea come to fruition? Cause it was, I remember when it first launched and hearing about it, I'm like, wow, that's a smart idea, but it was definitely early to the game. It, it was, uh, I mean, I think it was 
really Brendan's experience, I think in, in TV production that helped him connect the dots. And, and the way it was explained to me, it was like, Hey, this is as seen on TV, but for YouTube. Yeah. And I started looking around and I was like, wow, like it's people are creating content on their phones. Like this is going to become the new normal. Like it's growing incredibly fast. Uh, but there's the, the, the really interesting part of it was we could see the appetite from brands um, really clearly. But what was more interesting to me as an entrepreneur was that all these influencers had at the time fairly limited ways of monetizing all of that audience. So really the only way people were making money was through, um, through Google, uh, AdSense on their YouTube channels, uh, and something I won't go too deep on it, but there's another group of companies called multi-channel networks and they were taking a cut of that really not, for, not doing much, uh, for that. And so the influencers didn't have a lot of control. Um, so I really saw the opportunity and what, what excited me about it was trying to give this swath of you know, these, these new entrepreneurs the opportunity to you know, better monetize, have more opportunities and, and do influencer as a full-time job, um, which was kind of unheard of then, you know, people weren't, there was like one person, Michelle Fawn doing it, but um, you know, that was really kind of a new, a new concept. So I've always had this passion, I think, and that's translates certainly into what we're doing at Unsag of like, how can you, how can we arm the rebels, right? How can we build tools for these people to do the things that they're trying to do and, and really empower them to do that? Um, so that was something I was always really proud of. Yeah. It's crazy how it's evolved. Like, was it, is it Ryan's toys? The number one yeah. YouTuber out there? Yeah. <laughs> just, it just unboxing those toys, you know, like opening toys, how fun for a kid. <laughs> it's a good job. Yeah. I want that job, right? I know. I know. Uh, all right. So you went through the Techstars program. Like, what was that experience like? Techstars was good. It was good. Um, so it's interesting. People ask me a lot about, would you do Techstars or should I do it? Should I apply? Or accelerators in general, not not just, just Techstars. And, um, you know, I think for someone who's a, a first-time founder with really specific goals, potentially around fundraising, um, kind of really early in their career can be a really powerful platform. Um, people always tell you that the network and the mentorship, I think at, uh, you know, accelerators like Y Combinator and Techstars and, and Mass Challenge as well, to some extent, like there's a lot of value in that. Um, so I think what, when people always ask me about accelerators, it's really, it's really founder dependent, right? Or founder specific, you know, in terms of what, where are you at? What's been your kind of entrepreneur journey, what do you need? Where are you strong? And that really can shape whether or not something like an accelerator could be right for you. I mean, they're not, um, they're not charities, right? Like there's, you know, they take, uh, they take equity. Um, and so you have to really think like, what's the value exchange for me and, and is what I'm going to get from a platform like that, you know, is, is the value there based on, you know, what I need to do. Now, in the life cycle of the company, you moved on from uh, heading up product to CEO. Um, so, so what did you learn, you know, you know, kind of first time running a company? And I learned a lot. Um, so I think stepping back like in the product role, I really lived with the engineers and the customers. And we, we spent a lot of time thinking about how to solve problems for them and and the other lens of that was like, okay, well, what's our sort of North Star strategy and, and making sure that we're kind of align, you know, those three things. Um, I think moving into the CEO role, the breadth of what I was thinking about, you know, just expanded so much more. Um, so I think one of the, the really nice learnings that I have is just kind of seeing how the whole organization really supports itself. 
um, across product sales, marketing, right? Customer success, ops, finance. I think that was something that I had had less exposure to in terms of more of a of an organization. You know, the earlier stuff that I worked on, you know, it was really just me, maybe one or two other people. What a great find! You know, we were a little bit further along, and so I really appreciated the ability to um, to see that. You know, people talk a lot about like sales, uh, sales and marketing and product alignment and those kinds of things. I think it was a really great opportunity to kind of lead that discussion and kind of focus on those things and bring my experience and in product into that. Um, so that was a big learning. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, uh, navigating, uh, the, the space as it's, you know, was changing very quickly. Like that was something, uh, new for me, um, working with our board, you know, um, all the way through, you know, our exit of the business. So it was a lot of firsts. It was a lot of firsts. Yeah. And as you just highlighted, you know, the company was acquired. So, uh, after Grapevine, what led you down the path of starting Unstack? Like, what was the problem that you noticed and you were like, hey, I need to go solve this? So in the space in general, what, so at, Great, at uh, Grapevine, we had um, a huge range of customers at different stages. So we had everyone from early stage startups to companies like Coca-Cola and agencies like Ogilvy and Mather and, and, and those, those kinds of companies. So the, the consistent thing that we saw across all of them was like everybody seemed to be struggling when it came to MarTech um, and campaign preparedness, uh, measuring the success of what they were doing, being able to react quickly. Um, there was a lot of call scheduling to see when we could get developers on the line, right? Um, and these were for, for getting like table stakes in place. Um, and so I saw this like horizontal problem and I thought to myself, well, surely surely this is solved and people just maybe aren't, you know, they're not executing well, or maybe they just have, you know, outdated tooling um, because there's so many solutions out there. You know, you look at the, the MarTech landscape, they have diagrams of these sea of companies. Um, and I think that's part of the problem, right? There's almost this, this really big fragmentation problem within, within marketing. And so I want, I knew, and I mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast, you know, I, what I love, one of the things I loved about Grapevine was being able to, help all of these sort of micro entrepreneurs build their business and give them another way to make money. Um, in a very similar way, I, uh, I wanted to build another business and I kind of knew the constituency that I wanted to serve was, you know, the entrepreneur, you know, I used the term rebel earlier, but like the entrepreneur, the founder, those like agile teams that are trying to shake things up within larger companies. What are the tools that they need and what sort of the idyllic platform that they would need to build and, and scale up these ideas. And so, that was really the genesis for Unstack. And our vision is, you know, how do we empower and enable teams to build incredible digital businesses? Um, and so it goes, it goes beyond the marketing site. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I got to get a, a website up there or a landing page, but it's much, much bigger than that. It's about, it's about agility. It's about, you know, being able to measure what's working. It's about testing and getting product market fit. Um, and so it's really bringing all of those things together um, and, and helping the teams to kind of put, put those folks in the driver's seat. How'd you come up with the name and securing that URL? That's impressive. Oh man, naming, I don't know if, if anybody's listening to this and you've, you've gone through the process of trying to think of a name for your, your startup or a domain, you know, that you can then get, 
it's it's painful. I don't wish it on anyone. Uh, we started out as a, and we actually started out with a different name. We started out as a company called Spark. We had uh, Spark.app. We were like, oh, that's that's a pretty good domain, and you know, that's just a very tough name to build a brand around um, for a lot of reasons, uh, not the least of which Adobe has a product in, in that space. So we kind of knew early on, like, hey, it's fine. This is like a proof of concept. We got to get serious about our brand. Um, so we went through probably. I don't know, a hundred different names and probably 500 different domains and eventually landed on, um, a, you know, a subset and then kind of worked a process of like, what's a tenable for us around a, 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 do a domain name. We knew we wanted to get a .com just because of the, the seriousness that it lends, you know, I think uh, to, to building this and, um, and we were able to, to negotiate a, a good deal. It wasn't, wasn't $10 uh, on stack.com, you know, but, you know, <laughs> I actually I have to say, I was really surprised. Uh, we got it through GoDaddy's um, domain broker service. And I had very little faith that they would come through and they, and they did, and they did a good job. Um, so give them, give them props uh, on that one. So as you're, you know, entering this space, you know, kind of just starting out, you know, there, there are some, like you said, the MarTech landscape, there's that, like you said, slide that's so small now, each logo. Uh, who's that? Who does that? Scott? Scott uh, Breaker? Is that his last yeah. name? Yeah. Like, so it's amazing. It just has grown and grown and grown. And then you've got, you know, incumbents out there like Squarespace and Wix. So here you are starting a company to take on, you know, these dominant incumbents, right? So like, so what were you thinking there? It was like, there's, there's just a better way than how they're doing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I think, uh, look, there's a, there's a longer answer there. You know, I think that, you know, for us, it was, we would talk to people who are on those platforms. We looked at those platforms and, and we were looking at, you know, why are people turning over every, you know, 12, 18 months to something new, you know, as they grow and their needs change and what's the real root cause for that. And, you know, I think a, a lot of it for us was there's, the space is massive. There's there's plenty of space to play, and and we think of this as more of an infinite game. You know, it's it's you know we're thinking very long term. You know what you know, I focus less on you know what what Squarespace or Wix is doing, and and really more on like what are founders and what do these teams need to actually build and scale you know digital presence. And so I think that's not necessarily the end game of those platforms. I think those platforms are really how do we help you get up and running. Um, our platforms, how do we get your message in front of the world? You know, how do you really build and scale something, something meaningful here? Um, and so we're much more growth oriented, SEO oriented, you know, we've got a lot of tools and data built in to help you, um, drive those SEO results. We just did a, a, a really big survey. It's coming out, uh, middle of February. And the number one way that you know, we, we surveyed all these, uh, all these marketers and, and founders, the number one way they're all building their businesses is through content marketing to educate their audience and, and the obvious side benefit of that, which is SEO. Um, and so, you know, that's where people are really focused on building. That's sort of a known quantity. Um, and that's how, you know, we've really, you know, we've just really focused uh, and rallied around giving people the tools to do that really effectively and actually grow. Yeah. And I, uh, I, you know, before this podcast, I wanted to peek under the hood. So, uh, you know, I started working with the app and I was blown away by the level of sophistication of where it was at. I mean, cause I've used the Squarespaces and the Wix or, you know, the others. Um, and I, what the, the sophistication of what you've built so far is impressive. So how did you go about building a product of that magnitude? So we've been working really hard on it for a couple of years now. Um, we have an amazing team. My, my co-founder, Steve Mosley, is a, just 
been a rock star CTO for us. Um, we've got uh, a growing number of uh, teams. We actually just raised a round, so we're expanding the team. We're hiring and sort of product and engineering and design roles um, to continue to accelerate that. And so I think what we tried to look at was so so there's a double edged sword of you know being too too broad and and sort of you know not deep enough. Um, and so we kind of limited it down to three pillars right now, which is content, analytics, and integrations. Um, we do have two other pillars that are going to be coming um, down the line. But those are really the sort of the core focus that we have. Um, and we've looked at a lot of what's out there and, and realized that people are paying a lot of money for 100% of a feature set where they really only need 80%. So most of the time, if someone's paying $1,000 a month, you know, they're really paying 800 that's going towards the uh, features that they're probably not even really using. So what are the what are those really important 80% features that we can build quickly and get into the hands of our customers um, and make sure those are right? That's really where uh, where we focus um, and been able to cover a lot more ground that way. Um, but I will say, you know, as we grow, you know, it's much easier to build and ship and move quickly when you have, you know, only a small number of customers. But obviously now we're in the you know, hundreds of businesses and agencies that are using the platform. So we have to be a little bit more thoughtful, a little bit more careful, you know, about uh, the balance of moving fast versus breaking things and kind of making make sure we're you know, finding the right balance. Now, one of the challenges that many companies have is that go to market, like that acquisition strategy of customers and it's worked for you. Like what's the strategy of, you know, growing the footprint of customers? So, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, content and SEO has been kind of our, our core focus. Um, I also believe in building that, you know, as an annuity long-term for us. So it's, it's something we also felt like we really wanted to educate the space and kind of reiterate the problems and, and help people to solve them. So content has really been at the, the focus of that. Um, community has also been very interesting for us. It's not something that um, was the first thought that we had. And in fact, we tried to launch a couple of communities and um, did, didn't work. Um, and really the third shot at doing it, um, we started to actually see people coming in. You know, we were really seeding a lot of that initially. Uh, and now kind of our community is actually starting to help other community members and that's growing. So we've really been thinking about like, how can we leverage community, um, you know, to, to drive referrals, to drive exposure, drive opportunities. Um, we spend a lot of time there, spend a lot of time on uh, content and SEO, primarily because we're not at a place where we're looking to, you know, go spend, you know, 10 million a year on acquiring customers on, you know, AdWords and Facebook. We're still early enough as a company that we're learning, we're, we have really great feedback loops with our customers. So we're really in kind of learn and build and tweak and optimize and perfect. Um, and I think as we grow, then we'll start to, to sort of turn the corner and look at some of those more inorganic channels to really grow and, and put some dollars behind marketing. Now, Unstack is a uh, freemium product. So how, how do you, I'm not necessarily saying specific to your pricing model, but how should entrepreneurs think about pricing? Like what's, what's the way to you know structure that? Yeah. So I'm, I'm not the, uh, the authority on this. I think our pricing actually needs a lot of work. Um, we've been, we, you know, we've actually pushed back on putting attention on pricing to instead focus on product right now and kind of coming back to that. So it's like, do you want to, do we fix pricing? You know, if we don't have everything figured out on product, like what's the right order of operations there for us? We just said, Hey, like we'll, we'll get pricing figured out later. Like let's make sure we've got the product exactly where we want it. Um, but what I will say is uh, we just did a podcast with Patrick Campbell over at uh, 
profit well. And, you know, I know one of the things that he talks about a lot is like quarterly pricing audits, you know, and, and then also really thinking about value metrics. Um, both of those things we aren't doing, uh, both of the things we should be doing. Uh, so that's uh, definitely something that, you know, I would just, I would say for anybody to be interested, who's interested in pricing, like maybe go listen to that and, and hear from an expert versus, versus me. Um, on the product-led growth side, I think the one belief I do have there is that kind of really moving, you know, regardless of where you're priced, I think we are kind of moving towards a, a point in time where people want to touch and feel and use and really understand what they're getting into um, before they talk to a salesperson, you know, before they make a commitment. So the momentum that I think people have seen around product-led growth, right? Like it's, it's, it's really supporting that, I think, change in buyer behavior, which is like, hey, I want, let me just get in and like, see if this is for me. And then, you know, yeah, I'll get, I'll get on a demo with you or you know, I'll go do your academy, you know, maybe then I'll upgrade. So, you know, we try to really meet people where they're at and, uh, and kind of foster that, get them into our community, get them building. And then, you know, the more people are building with us, the stickier our product becomes. So that has worked really well. It might not be for, that model might not be for everyone, but I think it's worked really well for us. And you brought me to my uh, next question, which is, uh, you know, how do you think about the workflow for a product-led growth company? Meaning, you know, sign up here on the website and then the person's just exploring and figuring stuff out immediately. So, you know, part one of that is what happens when someone actually creates an account? What do they see first? And how do you guide them down the path of creating something? And then second, how do you figure out the follow-up, like what's the right cadence for the email follow-up? Like, Hey, you signed up for an account, do this, do this. Like th there's two different channels there. So how, how do you think about each? I mean, there's, there's just no right answer. I mean, I think in our case, you know, the high level things we're looking at is how do we, how do we deliver wow as quickly as possible? And how do we reinforce that, you know, building trust and education in a relationship in a scalable way? Um, you know, so we can't get on demos with every single person that comes through our platform, um, just it would be impossible. Um, but there are things we can do to kind of build, uh, build the relationship with them as they're using the tool. Uh, and I think, you know, one of the things I've been um, impressed by and that Zach Rigo's, you know, taking the initiative on internally is just how effectively you can use data to segment and deliver, you know, the right message to the right person at the right time. Uh, so, you know, somebody who's an agency coming in should not have the same experience as somebody who's launching a startup, right? Mm -hmm. There's different reason and purpose that they're, that they came to us. Um, they probably found us through different content. So, you know, I would say that's, you know, figuring out how to, uh, you know, personal, personalize that experience in a way that's manageable, um, you know, putting that, that data to work. And then I think also just looking at it, like any, any product sort of, um, almost like a product roadmap, you kind of have this onboarding roadmap of like, what do we need to build, you know, in order to um, really connect the customer to the right behaviors to get them to stick. Uh, and so a lot of that is talking to the customers, actually just sitting down and, talk, you know, you can do screen recordings, you know, you can take surveys. I think that's good. But um, I would, I would say, you know, talk to the customer, you know, a lot of times it'll be like, Hey, I, I just didn't make any sense to me. And you're like, huh, made a lot of sense to me when I did it, but now that you say that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So, you know, you just learn these things and it's just this compounding interest of, you know, learning and improving and nobody has it right, uh, you know, starting out. Nobody really ever finishes onboarding and optimization and customer success, it's just this constant, you know, you're just constantly tweaking on it. Yeah.
So you mentioned uh, content's been a, a key piece of your your strategy. So what's um what SEO tips do you have um, or things that you would refer people to that is kind of like you know the guide to because SEO is always changing and it's a craft that we're constantly thinking about here at VentureFizz. So uh, like like what what's your advice there? I think there are a few things. Um, I think you know it's whether it's whether it's SEO, whether it's building a YouTube channel. Um, you know, like I, I just think back to, to my grapevine days. We interviewed like thirty five hundred influencers, and we we're like, "How are you building your channel?" And the common denominator there was like, "We post religiously at this time, these days a week, every week, without fail." And and um, we do that for about two years with no results. <laughs> and then all of a sudden things really took off for us. I think that's actually a really familiar story if anyone's done SEO to kind of feel that as well. You know, it starts off and, and you know, there's really nothing and it starts to, to compound and snowball over time. And I won't get into all the like, you know, little technical tips and tricks, but I do think a, a couple things are one, publish content that solves problems for people. Um, I think people are out on the web searching for answers to problems um, and much like products that we're building to solve problems, like build content that solves problems. Um, I think that's really important. Um, I think where you can try to generate, uh, you know, there are some ways to scale content. So dynamic content generation, you know, if you have a database of really interesting content, you know, that's a way where you can scale from, you know, rather than doing three blog posts a week, you could potentially do 30,000 pages in a month, you know, depending on how you set that up. Um, so I would encourage people to think about leverage, think about where you can, um, you know, find interesting, unique data or content or perspectives that you can share. Um, I mentioned earlier that we did, uh, I mentioned for Grapevine, we did that big survey. Um, we're doing something very similar right now at Unstack. You know, we interviewed tons of marketers about what exactly they're doing to actually grow, what's not working, what they're going to do this year, who's owning it, you know, all of these things. And, you know, that's um, proprietary in a way, right? So I always say, like, look for those, like, proprietary things that, you know, for VentureFizz, right, you might have, like, really interesting hiring data or really interesting insights on, this, you know, who's raised what and um, being able to map who's gone from what company to where, like people can't copy that from you, you are the source. And so where you can find those opportunities for your own business and create content around that, you become this sort of linked to authority on a specific topic or a set of data or, or a trend. And so I think that's a great way to build uh, authority, SEO, credibility, traffic, all that kind of stuff. There's a new uh, angel investment group in Boston, TBD Angels. Uh, which is awesome, amazing roster of, of folks that are involved. I was looking at the, the webpage yesterday. So, so what, what advice would you have to people about getting involved in, in angel investing? Oh, great question. Um, I, I joined this because I wanted to get more exposure to um, other founders, other investors, kind of hear, hear about you know, how people were looking at deals. I had done a couple small uh, angel investments just on my own. Um, so I think if, if, you're, if you haven't done angel investing and you're thinking about getting involved, a group potentially like TBD, um, which has been great, uh, I rec really recommend them. Um, it's a great way to kind of jump in and, and kind of learn from others. You know, there are people in that group who have done 100 plus, 150 plus angel deals. And so getting a little bit of exposure to how the questions they're asking, how they're thinking about it. Um, I think that's been really valuable. Um, I wrote a, a LinkedIn post too about this, which was 
if you are an entrepreneur uh, and you've raised money and you've heard no a lot, um, we can take it personally as, as founders because we believe so much in our, in our vision and what we're doing, which is important. It's good. Um, but it hurts when you hear no. And I think one of the really cool kind of takeaways that I had being in this angel group was when I kind of passed on my first deal. And I actually called the founder to let them know we weren't going to do the deal. And, uh, you know, it really opened my eyes up that, you know, when someone says no to your idea, it's just, it's not anything personal. It's just the fact that like, maybe it's the wrong time. Maybe they didn't connect with something. Maybe they didn't see it. You literally had 30 minutes, you know, 45 minutes to convince someone to give you, you know, you know, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. And so like things sometimes don't work out, you know? And so I thought that was always a, that was a really interesting takeaway as well. All right. What are three apps you can't live without? Three apps I can't live without. Um, I would say one web app is Bear Metrics. I use that a ton for our business. Um, so that's that's sort of a revenue analysis, like looking at all your MRR, your churn, cohort analysis. Um, so as a SaaS CEO, I'm, I'm looking at that all the time. Um, in terms of other apps, uh, Twitter. I'm on Twitter probably way more than I should be. I, I love it. Um, Maybe uh, New York Times. Uh, I, you know, in the pandemic, I I bit the bullet and I I bought the uh, the crossword subscription. Okay. So I do a lot of the New York Times crosswords on my phone. Those are really hard. <laughs> I usually get through Tuesday, and then that's it. Everything. And then I have to then I have to call my wife and to help me fill in all the blanks. <laughs> uh, any podcast or book recommendations? I just finished reading. Um, the Almanac of uh, Navarro Ravikant. Um, and then it's sort of a collection of all of his work. The guy who put it together is, his name is, I think I'm gonna say his last name wrong. I think it's like Eric Jorgensen. Um, I might've gotten that wrong. I thought that was a really interesting book to kind of hear how he thinks about things. He's known for being kind of a hybrid business philosopher. Um, and he talks a lot about, you know, things like leverage thinking and getting, you know, compounding, you know, interest on the work that you're doing. Um, and there's a lot of stuff in there too about, you know, happiness and, and health and things like that. So I, I thought that was a really good one. I recommend that. I also uh, recently read um, uh, Finite and Infinite Games. I don't know if you've heard of that one. I haven't. Uh, that's a, it's a, it's a very, it's actually a very tough read. I, I admittedly went and kind of like read cliff notes about it, but just the thinking of, you know, how we kind of look at and approach um, different environments that we're in and the thinking that we have around them, you know, finite versus infinite. Um, so that one's worth looking at. And then the other one that I always tell people when they ask me this question on books um, is Seven Powers. I just think that's a really cool, it's a fast read. It's like a hundred pages. Um, it's a really good, just like strategy framework for thinking about different ways your business can stand out, compete against giants. Like we talked about, um, you know, counter position, think about your business model, your pricing brand. So it's a, that's a great one. I always recommend. Cool. Uh, what do you like to do for fun outside of work? You're obviously busy building a company, but outside of work when you have time. What's, what is that? fun. <laughs> no. Exactly. Uh, no, I, I uh, you know, I love to get outside, especially these days, get off Zoom, get outside, um, go on a lot of walks, hikes. Uh, so that's, you know, where I spend a lot of time on the weekends. Great. Well, Grant, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background and, you know, the companies you've been building. And um, 
you know, this is, this is not prompted like unstack. It, I logged in and I started creating a website, super easy, beautiful user interface and super affordable. So I would highly recommend people. If, if you're looking for a new way of doing things, check out unstack, but Grant, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through everything you've been up to. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.